kids and you. Stony Island Audio. What up, y'all? This is uh, Open Mike Eagle. This is Secret Scan. This is the same Secret Scan that you have uh, listened to before, probably. I doubt this is anybody's first time. I don't know. I just somehow doubt that. This episode this is one of them ones where I am. What had happening was myself once again. This time I'm joined by venerable. I don't really know what that word means. Venerable hip hop historian Kevin Beecham. And he uh, he's joined me to discuss my debut album, Unapologetic Art Rap. Uh, luckily, he likes that project a lot. So he has some really good questions and we got really deep into it we unpacked a lot of how the songs came together what the time was in my life how i got the deal for it um all that good stuff we go pretty deep it's my first album my first album came out 2010 y'all 2010 2010 um Babies born the same day as my album might be sneaking and smoking cigarettes right now behind a dumpster in some godforsaken pre-apocalyptic city like Cincinnati. Anyway, all that is to say that I'm old. Um, It's a good conversation, albeit a sensitive one. Um, album's coming out real soon. Component System with the Auto Reverse is out October 7th. We got I'll Fight You, produced by Diamond Didas, out. We got a video for that out. We got some tour dates we've announced. We're doing a T-Hop Fest in Ontario, California. We're doing a little run with Dessa, First Avenue in Minneapolis. Des Moines at a place called XBK. Madison at the Majestic Theater in Chicago, Illinois at the Beat Kitchen. We're doing two shows at the Beat Kitchen. They better have some damn good food. That's, that name is, that name is bold. Um, we got pre-orders for the album. If you go to my band camp, but make sure you go to my band camp because there's two, it's kind of confusing. One of them is like Open Mike Eagle 360. That ain't me, ain't no 360 in my name. Uh, Mellow Music Group did that, God bless them. Um, my real one is just open mic. You could go there. It's the only one where component system with the auto reverse exists. You could pre-order vinyl there. There's like 150 of the limited edition ones left. That's some merch coming soon too. We even have an AR filter. Look at us stepping into the modern times. Uh, you know, I have that practical stereo on my head in the video and the cover of the album. We made an AR filter so you can put a stereo on your head too and then say stuff you can say whatever you want then because nobody can see your mouth they can't even really prove it was you who said it so you can really get some stuff off if you want i'm open mike eagle this is secret skin i don't know for how long who knows for how long but for right now it's a secret skin Ladies and gentlemen, this is Secret Scan again. I'm Open Mike Eagle, and uh, I am what had happened was in myself once again, putting myself on the hot seat this time with a legend in underground hip hop. It's been a legendary radio show host, hip hop historian, helped run a, a merchandise empire <laughs> called Fifth Element in Minneapolis, and uh, countless other things, I'm sure, but I'm privileged to be joined on a conversation about my debut album on apologetic art rap i'm privileged to be joined by the man himself kevin beecham kevin how you doing today i am doing great and that was a, a very glorious introduction and i am honored to be here and thank you man yeah it's a pleasure i can't remember exactly when we very first met i have a few different early memories of like us like being around each other and be i know we have like different connections with Chicago stuff and the Nacro and all that. I'm like, I can't remember exactly when I first like kind of got aware of your music. I had a moment like, I know that I saw that. I, I remember seeing you somewhere before, like, oh, he's been around somewhere. I know that this ain't my first time seeing him. But so it was like, I don't know exactly. But I do remember like probably around the time of this album, there was like a one-two punch 
where I heard something from this album and then saw you. I, like, I think I came to LA for like Scribble or something like that. But I saw you and heard you around the same time. I'm like, okay, there's something special here. I mean, I probably heard you before, but there was like this moment around this album where I just heard you. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, let me pay attention to what's happening here. So I picked this album, you know, well, well, the one like, because I'm like you said, I'm known as the hip hop history guy. <laughs> so I'm like, I should do the oldest album that, you know, one of the older albums. And you, you answer one of my questions, like, do you, I know you did some things before this, like you did a few, like, you know, the EP and like, you know, some CDR stuff, but I was curious, do you consider this your debut album? And you just sort of confirmed that. Can you talk about that, maybe that process to getting to like those things out before this album, like how they played a part in you building your sound and style to be able to make this album? That's a really interesting question, because uh, this is my debut album, but it's not really my first album because I made an album before this that I never put out. It was this album called The Meditation Hustle. And it was this weird thing I was doing. It was almost like I was trying to to like do like a fake self-help system through hip hop, almost that sort of thing. But I went super hard with the, with the metaphor, like too hard. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I should uh, rock with this. So some of those songs made it on this mixtape I had called Premeditated Folly that I think came out before the album. Hello world. Hello. You are now rocking with open mic eagle and DJ Handprints. DJ Handprints. This is premeditated folly, yeah. y'all. Here we go. It's a terrifying living. I'm trying to put out a record with Caroline shipping. It's like I'm paralyzed trying to lift things. And uh, another roadside attraction. Basically, I put that project together because I was going on my first tour. Uh, so I went out with a uh, bus driver and abstract rude and just like tried to put some songs together to have something to sell that, that looked decent and sounded decent. Somebody told me I should rap in a louder voice and that's the only way to capture a crowd of choice. Well, let me hoist a surrender flag. How much force can a rapper guy pretend to have? So those were some songs that I was, you know, making with and happy with at the time that I put on that project. And this whole time, I'm also starting to bake the songs that would um, go on unapologetic art rap. So that first tour... I'm performing like half the songs on the album on this tour and um, kind of putting it together once I'm seeing what the business situation is around L.A. because it was wildly changing in front of my eyes. You know, it, it went from being a very vibrant underground rap economy to like all of the labels kind of falling off one by one. And so once I kind of realized through Bus Driver, like I could present something to Mush, that's when I kind of started, okay, let me try to put this project together. And that's what ended up becoming an unapologetic art rap. That's perfect because um, my next question was um, about Mush. How did you connect with Mush? So that was through Bus Driver? Yeah. Bus Driver was at that point in his career, I think, where he was definitely seeing that there was a next generation of like Project Blow Cats. So like myself and, and No Can Do and dumbfounded that like you know we had we had been in the dojo we had been developing skills we had been making songs we've been doing all the local shows but the the thing that was kind of not happening in our careers was like getting music out properly you know in a way that people could really hear it it could make the kind of impact that releases needed to make we were all basically selling out the trunk at the time and he had a really good relationship with mush so um yeah, he basically just walked me in there. Like he said, just whenever you got something ready, I'm gonna show it to them. If they like it, then you come in for a meeting and X, Y, Z. You know, that was like kind of like your first time stepping to a label. Were there other things you were trying to do before that that didn't kind of pan out? I mean, I think that I had probably sent some music out to some labels like cold calling. You know, I probably done that. You know, I was doing everything that any website told me an indie artist should do <laughs> at that time. Like I would do it. Um, so, you know, I mail stuff out all the time, but never hear much back. Because it was really, all, of course, it's all about relationships, and I didn't have any relationships. So that was my first time, really, in a situation to do business with a label. Okay, cool. And it's, it's the one thing that stands out, and I think probably you would hear this a lot, is that um, your style, you have a, a unique approach to your style and presence. Um, and I think that's rare for an artist. I think a lot of times, you know, you like artists are easy to put into a box. Like, that's I can compare that to that. And I, I think you're you're harder to do. Um, was that something that was a little more natural? Or did you have to spend time crafting how to like develop the open mic eagle sound? <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of development went into it. And what I hear when I listen back 
to this album, like I definitely hear like the punchline influence of my writing style, which was which came from all of my years freestyling. So the the punchlines and the you know quote unquote multis like that that style being very attractive to me. And then you know I'm I'm doing a lot of like melodic stuff, and I think that's partly influenced by my time at Project Blow. Honestly, seeing how adventurous cats like Abstract Rude, Micah Nine, General Black, rest in peace, like how melodic they would get with the different styles and approaches, even like like in a verse or the you know the the layers of vocals in a hook. You know, Bus Driver, of course, as well. So I think I was trying to synthesize all of that at the time. So a lot of what you hear in unapologetic art rap is just like my development right at that phase. Looking back now, like what do you think are some of the key like stark contrasts to like what your style was then and to how you developed it now? Is it is some things like, wow, that's really different? Or do you feel it's sort of like a natural evolution or what? Um, I, I do feel like it's a natural evolution, but it's it's only natural if you really understand where I was coming from, which was like I had spent my entire rap life before this point, you know, and, you know, there's a couple little releases before that, but I didn't really, I wasn't really making a lot of music. I was doing a lot of street corner rapping. I was doing a lot of freestyling, a lot of ciphering, rapping on stage, which is projection and timing and theatrics and all of that. But what I found, at least in my personal journey, is that that didn't translate really easily to rapping in a studio. Like, I found that when I rapped the way I rapped on stage or on the street corner in a studio, like it wasn't translating well. And so I was trying to find ways to like have a comfortable voice on the microphone. So a lot of what I did was very much down here on unapologetic art rap because I felt like I had a lot of comfort down in this area. But that was really just me kind of starting. And like now I'm at the point where I have like a full, a fuller, um, capability of my range as a vocalist so I can do a lot more things but uh, a lot of unapologetic art rap was me trying to do uh, what I was comfortable doing and I wasn't comfortable doing all that much. Ladies and gents, I've seen the future and pretty soon you'll need a PhD to be an English tutor. You're gonna have to put your house up to lease a scooter. We still work but our bosses are now new computers. They make the decisions on when a lunch break is given. So maybe can you break down the art and who did it and just like, you know, what, what the science is? So my man, Ralph, who was in our crew, the swim team, but like he was in our crew as like an artist more than as a musician. Like, I think he played like rock music, but he was really super dope visual artist. And so like, you know how like Mir One would do all the Project Blow stuff? Like he was our Mir One. So... He did my solo album. He did Sat solo album. He did Alpha MC solo album. He did the Thirsty Fish album. I want to say he did a swim team thing too, but like he was our guy. Whenever one of us had a project, we'd have him do the cover. Uh, and he's just an incredible artist. But this one, yeah, like there's this impressionistic thing of me as a kid painting what should be a self-portrait, but it's all like exaggerated and distorted. And I forgot what we, we based this off of something. I think it might have been like some Norman Rockwell painting or something that we based it off of, but then we kind of just flipped it. It's on the nose in a way because it's art, but there's a subtext that it speaks to in terms of me painting myself, the distortions of it and all of that, like that really kind of speak to the themes I'm working in. Right. No, no. It's, it's, it's like, if you look at this art, it will prepare you for the music. They work hand in hand. And the other thing that's funny is that I forgot when you flip it over, I could easily mistake you for me because <laughs> we, we look like twins. <laughs> <laughs> we got a common ancestor somewhere, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a little. That's a little side note. That's hilarious. Producers. Now, there's a, there's um a handful of producers on this record, and a, a, a few of them are like. Are prominent and show up a few times. So, like, I want to talk about some of those producers first, and we'll get to the ones who just do like one song as we get to those songs. But can you get a little background on talking about always prolific, automatic, awkward, and maestro, kind of like the the, the the reoccurring producers, right? And Quest Quest One isn't in that list. I figured he would have been in there too, but yeah, he did one track. Yeah, so he's one of the ones that did one track. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
All right. Well, so then I'm I'm conflating that because then I ended up doing a lot more stuff with Quest over the next couple albums. So I considered him to be in that core group. But you're right. He only did one on here. But speaking of Quest, Always Prolific and Quest One used to be a, a production duo called Pros and Conquest. And when I st- first came to Project Blowed, they were the cats in our generation who were who like lived near the Blowed and were making beats and you could always come through and vibe with them and get beats. I ended up performing with Always Prolific for years. Like as ne- he wasn't like a DJ, but he always added like live beats to my set and backups and great on stage energy and all of that. And I rocked with him for years and years and years and years. So we had a relationship even outside of just production. But at this time, yeah, like I would go to their spot, Pro and Quest, and um and just get beats from whoever had beats. And a lot of times that was Pro and I used to just make a lot of stuff with uh with Pro's beats. Now later on, Pro and Quest and Maestro formed a group with Alpha MC called E Super. So Maestro was around then too and maestro was like maestro was like he was like young premier to us like he he was friends with us but we didn't all quite hang as tough but maestro's beats were always crazy whenever there was like beat battles at project blow like maestro would come through and just serve everybody so it was always like getting a gym to get a beat from him he had a bunch of beats on the thirsty fish album that we were just super excited about like all our like singles our big bangers was stuff that uh that maestro gave it's the thirst makes you do things in the first place if what you think is the worst case is what you searching for a person searching whose thirst is worse than yours thirst takes hunger first of all Adamatic. i can't remember how i met Adamatic. like i feel like i only met him in person once but then we started having this relationship to where he would send me like a pack of beats like every month. And and it was probably like the same pack of beats he was sending out in general, but like this is my February 2010 batch. And then he would email them out and then like people would pick which ones. And I found myself liking a lot of his stuff because it was synthy, so it was very musical. He always had like a lot of chord progressions and stuff in his beats. And that that always made songs easier to write for me when he had that sort of foundation. But he wasn't local. Like everybody else that I'm talking about, so Pro, Quest, uh, Maestro, they're all local. They're all Bloatians. Like I'm seeing these people all the time. Adamatic, I didn't really spend a bunch of time with, but we did make like a handful of songs together over the years. So Awkward is a um, MC, producer, b-boy, and DJ from Bristol. And me and him had just met when I was making uh, this album. This album was already done, but me and Awkward started talking on the internet. We couldn't have met at that point because he was still in the UK. But um, I loved his beat style, and we really clicked and started working together a lot. On this album, the two songs that he did, he didn't originally do those beats. One of them, Pro did at first, Awkward took the vocals and uh, made a different beat. I think that's Garbage Man. And then Unapologetic. Those both were pro beats that we took the vocals off of and Awkward built a whole new soundscape. I, I wouldn't have normally done that. I actually thought it was a weird idea at the time, but I didn't understand that that happens a lot. But it was Mush Records kind of like suggesting that I do that because he thought that too many on the, the beats on the album kind of sounded alike. So the fact that I knew this guy who was capable of making songs off of the vocals, he was like, oh, we should give him a couple and, and so he can add some different textures to that. I can see yeah. that. That makes sense. It feels like you're being yourself and apologetically in your music, you know, and um, and you also either like embrace or spoof or provide commentary about stereotypes and the boxes people get put in. Can you kind of talk about that idea? I was very like brazen at the time where like I can I can say honestly, like looking back at this time. And this is going to sound so messed up, but it's true. And I can hear it in, in how I was doing things. I legit thought I was a genius. <laughs> like, like and, and, and in the way where, like, it's just any person's first foray into something and they think they got it all figured out. It has always been about me being myself in the face of what's happening. 
But I think that I thought that just doing that alone was going to be enough to make me a star, like like get, like like cement my place and whatever. Like, and so I think that's where the unapologetic part comes from. Is I thought that was the whole thing. I thought that was it. I thought I beat the game when I figured out that if I am unapologetically myself, I will win. And I think so. A lot, a lot of like the enthusiasm with, with which I lean into some of these concepts, like the art rap party, um, is kind of informed by that thought that this is going to be it. Like this is the golden ticket. Like this is it. And in the art rap party specifically, I started doing this thing in LA at that time where I was like really only performing at art shows, and I was having such a good time doing that and connecting with people and like really wanting what I and like some of my peers do to be seen as art that I really wanted to lean into that further too. That's where that song came from. It's a sheltered for battered artists, but nightly contest to see who's been smacked the hardest. We only press half the charges cause we love the punishment like any other passive martyrs. It's the Stockholm Syndrome, my house full of runaway- This album is good with a lot of the sequencing too, how things build. Um, and, and this song and this the idea of this kind of resonates to me in a certain way cause I grew up always feeling different and being called weird since I was in a stroller. <laughs> so like kind of talk about what, what what the freak flag means, why these kind of like ideas popped up in this album a lot. This is for the small, this is for the weird. People who know better than to follow what they hear. This is for your fears. My poetry is kept where I'm socially inept and so the fingernail of small talk is poking me to death. I'm supposed to be an extrovert, but I've observed that I prefer to hide behind having a lack of nerve. Yeah, and and you know, you're 100% right. You got to understand too, I'm in underground hip hop, which at the time is like the most, I mean, you would think it would be a haven for weirdos. And I think I thought it would be, but it's not. Like a lot of times those same like macho attitudes and uh, especially in LA, because what I didn't know before I got here was that the Project Blow had a very post gangbanging vibe. Like, them people had went through some shit and there was people with a foot in both worlds all through the Project Blow. So, like, yeah, like, it was cool. It was comfortable. They were they weren't kicking nobody out for being weird, but the community wasn't instantly welcoming. And so, you know, a lot of times I'd feel like a weirdo amongst the weirdos. And again, for me, much the same as you, that's a long thread that had been kind of running through uh, my life. And then I got the concept of the freak flag from some song. I think it was a They Might Be Giant song or something. It was something about letting their freak flag fly. And I just liked that idea. And I just kind of wanted to make a song that was like a beacon to other weirdos. Like, come over here, it's cool. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. That makes sense. I rock, of course. That's is that the most popular song on the record? A hundred percent, by far. You know, this song captures and that you beyond this, you got better and better at capturing this is 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 a balance, you know, where there's technical writing and creative writing, you know, talk about like kind of like building that, like, you know, learning to use all those things effectively into a song and how it builds to a song like this. And you're right, because it's a long process to learn that stuff. And I'd always been brave to, because I'd want always want to try to make a big melodic hook. Hooks are important to me just because I listen to a lot of rock music, you know, so those sung melodies always stuck with me. So I always wanted to make sure that I did what I could to put that in my music. Like this song, for instance, like people don't know, this hook is an interpolation of a Frank Black song. I think it's called Thalassocracy. And some people pick that up over time that like I basically repurposed the way that he sung the verse on that song and then changed the words and and made that the hook for this song. But but again, now you got to look at this in context. This is me who really doesn't know how to record taking a melody from one of the most, you know, like from one of the, the you know, one of the most legendary alternative 
uh, singers of all time. Like, oh, I can just do that. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, you know, those are the lumps that I took, you know, hearing my voice crack in recordings. I think people gave me a lot of leeway and people were really cool about kind of seeing me start off on this journey. So luckily, people don't shit on the fact that I didn't really know how to sing <laughs> that well at that time. But uh, but yeah, it's, it, it has always been important to me to have a hook to a song. And yeah, and, and the writing has always been, you know, the verse writing and the technicality has always been important to me too, but I never wanted to really ever sacrifice one for the other. This one produced by Exile. Talk about how that came about. Uh, it came about through theft. <laughs> oh, the <laughs> best way. And not and, and not the not the real not the real bad kind of theft, but um so me and Exile um and Exile's an amazing producer and we have a relationship now. We've made a bunch of songs since then, but back then we didn't really have much of a relationship. And I can't remember how this beat came to me, but I think I want to say it was through the label maybe. This beat had come out as part of a producer compilation that uh like I think Art Don't Sleep put it out and this was a beat on there that Exile did. And I heard it, and I liked it, and I wrote a song to it, and recorded it, and figured I'd, I'll figure the business out later. <laughs> and luckily, um, you know, people I knew had relationships with Exile, so we were able to, you know, break him off and clear it or whatever. But it wasn't like Exile gave me this beat. You know, these were these were the times of the mixtape, where if, if a, as an MC you heard some shit, you liked it, you would just do it and then try to figure it out later. And... Luckily, we were able to figure it out. I'm getting the hell up out of here by helicopter. If I have to, I'll borrow Psycho's helicopter. I don't need an umbrella, I need a helicopter. Because everything here in the scene is getting hella awkward. So raise your hand if you want to get on my helicopter. Another one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's like, it's like one of those... Um, I won't say pessimistic, but like cynical kind of songs where like you see everything's going to going to shit and um and you and you kind of want to point it out and also kind of make fun of it and you know just kind of hey look everybody look where we're going but the conceit for the song is that the world's going to shit and so I'm going to get on this helicopter and get the fuck <laughs> out of here and if you want to you can come get on this this helicopter with me we're all going to bounce and, you know, I think in some ways it's influenced by, like, black and white thinking in terms of technology bad, new hip-hop bad, blah, blah. You know, like, real kind of high-contrast thinking, not a lot of nuance in between. But also a real sense that I didn't like where things were headed. And I think, you know, te technology is a good thing to point at because, you, you know, just over the course of our lives, we've watched it change so much and we watched how as it develops and we engage with it in so many ways, it begins to change us culturally. And I often want to say, hey, are we paying any attention to what the psychology of engaging with technology this way is? How is it actually affecting us? Or are we just going to keep diving straight forward into it? So yeah, there's like real concerns in there. There's some naivety in there, but um, an overall sense of just like, things ain't going great. Let's just go do something else. Yeah, what the fuck is is art rap? I be going to these shows. We got rappers rapping about art, and it's artists painting the rappers while the rappers is rapping about the artists that's painting the rappers. This shit is stupid. What was the road to like the connection with Hannibal? And then this song, and were you there when he recorded this, or did you just get this sent to you from him later? So, um, me and Hannibal went to college together. You know, I was around when he first, like, literally first started doing comedy, when he said, I'm going to start doing stand-up. And he just started doing it, like, around school, and then, like, get whatever gigs he can get around the state and different schools, like, and just watched him do that and like master that over the years and and become incredibly successful he's and he's it's funny because he's come back around now he's rapping and he's mastering that too like it's it's, it's super tight And I'm cold with it. Go bizzle, slow approach with the dope rhythm. Follow through smooth, got the meditative flow system. And I know soon as the roll hit the wood, rotate slow contact with the pins.
Um, but we've just always had a relationship since college. And when he was in town in LA, I think he was in LA doing shows kind of before he like super blew up. He might have been writing on Saturday Night Live at this time. I don't remember. It might have even been right before that. But um, yeah, I had him at the crib, kind of told him in general what I wanted him to chat about. And he went for it and recorded and 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 what you know, I think it was like one take type situation. You know, he laid it down and there it is. This to all the adolescent Negro lads who make sketches and daydream the whole class. In '96, they would have been De La Soul fans. In 2010, it's my chemical romance. Still rebelling since it's the first sign of intelligence. All right, unapologetic, which is probably my favorite song for a, a a few reasons. I mean, I think you're great on it. I'm also a huge No Can Do fan. No, everybody's got a rapper friend, but my name's higher on the flyer. There's a reason I'm performing after them. You know what makes you seem less important? You just came here to cock jack your best friend's boyfriend. You don't deserve to stand there. Talk about just working with No No Can Do and that song in particular. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 part of the title track for a reason. Um, and it's me and somebody who I'm privileged to call a peer at that time at, at Project Blowed. But and me and him have always been really, really great friends. But there's no denying that, like, he's got to be one of the top five freestylers on the planet. Is him and Micah? I don't like. It's hard to say between him and Micah and I which one is better because they do their thing a little different. But they're both like super ultra on another level of operation than than anybody else. My name is Jimmy, but my fans call me No Can. The flow is cold like an ice cold Coke can. That was redundant, but fuck it. I'm on the wake up show. I'm all about the freestyle. It's time to cake up though. All about that money shit. Not up on that funny shit. Take that punchline. I'ma skin it like a bunny. Make a pelt like I Tonya. Bite like Sonya. Sort of like Mortal Kombat. Kill them when they on that. Perfect execution. Beat from revolution. I swear to God, I'ma change righteous retribution. They don't really want it. They get hunted. They get stunned. Like yeah, when it comes, when it comes to off the head, like, you know, James is Jimmy, James, no can do. It's just absolutely incredible. But then also, yeah, he's got an incredible catalog of music and he's been, you know, a dope rhymer in the studio, a dope writer for a long time too. So I'm just happy to have him go back and forth with me on this one. He's kind of flexing his things. I'm talking to the kids at the after school program. Both of us just being our unapologetic selves and and kind of stepping out into the world. Like he had he had a little recorded music out then, um, not much. And, you know, I think both of us at that time were trying to stake our claim as like serious artists in our generation of Project Blow. Like, no, take us seriously. Like, you know, yeah, we'll get in the cipher, we'll do all the things, but you know, now we're going to start putting out music. Now, like you're going to start seeing our releases. You're going to start seeing us on tour like that. That was the the feeling of the time. And I think that, you know, that's the kind of energy we attacked the track with. Makes sense because, you know, No Can was giving me stuff at Scribble Jam and different things. So I was playing like his, what, Impatient EP. Mm-hmm, the Impatient, yeah, yeah. He uses comedy very well in his music, but in a different way than you do, but also in a similar way that you do. So you guys are a great contrast. Yeah. Prince of Los Angeles, all city savages. Died, came back, and forgot what a casket is. Marlboro man, that shit. Blow so dope, it made death look extravagant. Pass me a cancer stick. I laid down the side of the brain, the rappers answer it. When they ask why, I laugh at the other half of it. <laughs> hey, maybe happens. Pissy Transmissions. That's the one that's like uh, your your production credit. That's your one production credit on this record? Yep, my one production credit on the album. What was your process for you as a producer at this time? Sampling and in, in, in this in this case, that is a gosh, that is a record like the 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 basis of that beat is this recording that Stephen Malcolmus did. He did a show at a museum and was playing unreleased songs of his, and him or somebody taped it in the museum and like I looped that. And rhymed over it. And everything is in there. The drums, all of it. It's all from it's all from the same uh sample. How are things for you? I've been writing pretty lyrics, but missing someone to sing them to. 
Half the people you've been meeting been affable. I've been faxing your messages ever syntactical. If there's an actual. It's so funny, man, because Steve, Stephen Malcolm started following me on Twitter a few years ago. And ever since that day, I'm like, is he going to sue me one day? Is he just going to, like, is he going to send me that, that smooth cease and desist? <laughs> like. But yeah, because I used his voice too, man. It's really egregious what I was doing. But like, you know, I was on some pirate shit, man. I was on the DIY, like, yo, we just we we just hitting and running. We making songs, and um, I kind of wrote my bars around the clips that he was, like, what he was singing. Like, I kind of extrapolated a rap song out of like little bits of what he was singing. That's a fan favorite from the album too. Like, that's probably uh, right behind I Rock. That would be the one people vibe with the most off of this album. Was was that your first time doing a music video? Uh, yes, but that video came a lot later and it wasn't a plan for it. We just, like, just kind of did it. Like, you know, it wasn't like it was part of the budget or anything. It was just like me and some people like, hey, let's do a video for this, you know? Yeah, yeah right, you're right. I don't think there's any Mush Records videos now that I think about it, is there? I don't know. Now, we did the video for iRock is, is like a real video. He paid good money for that one. All right, okay, work, work, okay. You got, you got your, got your videos your video's taking care of for this campaign. Okay, this is a uh, butterscotch. All my niggas are volcaneers and auctioneers for these tempting airless. Why they study rugby playing huggy bears, running for same sex marriage? They're having children out of wedlock after latex tearing, leaving their honorable families disgraced and buried. They gate like hair care tips, run shit like a legless heiress. Wait, what the fuck am I saying? The one with the rhyme. Okay, the pen's pregnant is wobbling with his ankles swollen, about to give birth to one. You and Bus Driver is exciting. And that was one when I saw, I was like, yeah, okay. Before I even like heard it, I was like, okay. That's a lot of personality on one song. <laughs> That's a lot of personality. That's for one song to contain. It's like maximum personality allowed in any room at one time. It's true. It's true. He's a monster, man. So this is just styling, right? Like, and 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 us, me and him getting in the studio and like really writing back and forth off each other, which is something I'm always excited to do when I collaborate with somebody. Cause that chasing the rhyme thing, like that's all, just just as a as a rap listener and a rap appreciator. That's just always exciting to me. So whenever I'm able to go back and forth with somebody like that, and then and then and the fact that it's, it's bus driver too, like and and we became friends kind of during this process, and then but really more after when we started touring together a lot. So I'd be working with Reagan um, at this time and be kind of starstruck, like even writing this song. Like I'm like, damn, like in, in in my quiet moments in my head, I'm like, can I even really hang with him <laughs> like that? Like. You know, um, this is one of this is one of the blow masters, man, and 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 he's rocking with me. But like, it's like, damn, can I really do this? But I don't know. I, I really his belief in me helped me kind of believe in myself more too. So his investment of time and energy in me like made me more confident. So when we got to writing the song and recording, I was really confident, really happy with how it came out, and just was just super excited for everybody to hear it. I'll be a dance rapper, fastening my pants backwards, rambling about France for the name and France Kafka for spitting ice. I'll give you advice like Ann Landers. And from me, you shall be handed lanyards before you pick clean your haircut 16 and with obviously 36. Greatly trips on your pancreas from a serving dish. Cause I don't approve bookings of sexual chocolates, front man. I crush his glands to the sides of a Hershey's kid. At some point, I'm gonna do a whole dedicated study about straight off verses. How did that process go? Yeah, uh, it, it, now this is as far as I remember it going, but we were in my home studio. I think he went first. And yeah, he did four bars, I think. And before he recorded it and while he's recording it, I know where it's going. So I'm writing my next four to come off of that. And then it kind of just went back and forth that way, like writing, sharing, listening, recording. And then the next person writes, shares, listens, record. And then like sometimes it's like four, sometimes it's like two, sometimes it's like eight. You know, so and that part was kind of more done by feeling like how far we should go each time. But it's it was just literally like sitting and writing together and sharing like like writ write record, write record, write record, write record. Like it's rain, the weather outside, don't see any clouds. The forecast is partly cloudy, so party loudly and make sure that it's hearty sounding. He's crown king of the evening when Selim the court swings to the sweetest thing. A genie with a brown leather wish bag with the power to ring. Partly cloudy. Um, this song is just a song with such a great vibe and feeling to it. And honestly, I just want to curious to hear you talk about this song. So this song was just like a feeling, man. It's just like a little painting. Like 
It's this little dark, rainy painting. And I think the first thing that came to me was wanting to do that, uh, that, that, uh, De La Soul, was it Ego Tripping? I rain dance, I rain dance. The last ray of the setting sun, let it come. The water pressure's better when it runs. This is second to none. Focus the matzah, not by chance. I rain dance, I rain dance. If they want to come, let them come. That was like, okay, I want that to be in the hook. So then this rain dance thing comes. And then I'm like, damn, the beat sounds kind of like cloudy. But it's like, and then like the phrase partly cloudy came to me. So I was like, oh yeah, partly cloudy, party loudly. Like, like I just wanted to play with that. And then so then it kind of became stream of consciousness just with those factors. But I always really liked this song a lot. Like it's like sometimes a, a song comes from like a whole lot of focus and planning and crafting, but this one was more just like, oh, I like this vibe. I like this image. I like this phrase. Let me write this out. And I just loved it. Like it's just that that evening encapsulated that I recorded it, you know? It's funny because I, I think if I would call any song on this record, for me personally, a sleeper track, it'd be this one. This is one that... I, I, when I listen to it now, I like it more, or it connects to it more than I did when I first heard the album. Totally. Yeah, it's it's real smooth. It's other points on the album that are like overtly exciting. You know what I'm saying? It like, it's real easy to let let this one slip by, but like that, yeah, that vibe is something. There's There's something to that, you know? Whenever I was kind of bored, thoughts of the girl I adored ignite a war. Haunted by the angry white Jesus by the door. Natural impulses I strive to ignore was divided to the core. The age old battle between human anatomy versus science of the Lord. I came real close to leaving my burdens by the door until I asked a preacher man about the dinosaurs and dinosaur fossils. God put those here to test our faith. We added up all the people born from Adam and Eve. So maybe talk about this song, how it came together, and this like your uh, approach to writing and uh, telling stories. Um, so Serengeti is one of my favorite artists ever, and our story actually, we we went to college together too, so me, him, and Hannibal, I went to school together. She didn't really want to get Botox, really. She rather vowed against it, but opportunity arose. It would increase the chances to get this gig. The manager said, "I'm not saying anything, but we can really use it right now." Besides. He's just been one of the most exciting artists in indie hip hop for as long as I can remember. And we've done a few collaborations together. I think this is our first one. Uh, the fun thing about recording with him, especially like, because we have our stuff we do together as Kavanaugh, that we sit in a room and make music together. You're not taking food off my table. I owe 200 grand in back taxes. I just want to see you on your mattress. Eat your food and watching your actions. Look at your cable, touching your navel. Take you out dancing after that bagel. Got you a gift in the trunk of my sable. But you're not taking food off my table. Heart of darkness, extra nothing. I don't know combos, I'm pressing buttons. Except what I get, question nothing. Except for myself when I'm But other than that, like, usually... I'll just start off a song and send it to him and I tell him I want him to do a verse and he never follows what I do. <laughs> he always just completely does his own thing. Uh, but I, I, I love that about him because I think that what he, like he ends up being informed by what I do, but in his way, which is very oblique. Like, and so it ends up being like a conversation that um, it has some threads, but it's not like the two verses aren't in conversation with each other. And we've done that like three times. But I always liked that. And then, yeah, so I wrote a story here about my, like, Christian upbringing and how much of that I was into and how that whole world kind of fell apart for me when I started getting skeptical. And, yeah, and I, I wrote that to that beat. I felt like, and I, I started the song by myself, and I felt like what I wrote kind of stood alone. Like, that was kind of the beginning and the end of what I wanted to say about that. Um, and then Jefferson DeJesus was a singer who was doing a bunch of stuff in L.A. at the time. So I had her do the hook. She did her own complete thing. And hers, they're kind of uh, covertly informed by what I was writing, but not like a direct connection. Garbage Man. I feel like I'm missing a layer here. I feel like something's trying to sneak by me in that song. That's so funny because it's so true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to be sneaky here, but I, I'm on to you. I haven't figured it out. I'm oh, God. 
I mean, I'll, I'll feel. I'll tell you part of the mystery, but not the whole mystery. Fair enough. Like, I, I had a feeling that was gonna be the case too. Something about it. Okay. Don't even look at me. I'm just a garbage man, working in my garden with heart and hand, watching the harvest of artists land. The new plants want the same thing the stars demand. Don't even look at us. Abrasive as a carpet burn. Right before the key to your apartment turns, we take the needle off a hard to earn. So this is a diss song. This is a diss track to a to a to a LA rapper uh that i will not name because i was mad at something i heard that that person said but it wasn't like it was ever said to me i don't even know if it really happened or if it did happen who exactly he was referring to but i was very sensitive at that time of my place and things and my crew's place and things so i took it very personally and wrote this whole ass song with this person in mind and that's what this is so has anyone or that person ever come up to you and like recognize who it was about never this is the first time anybody even ever asked me if it was about somebody. I had a nightmare of Tony Blair. I had a dream I cracked him in the head with a folding chair. I had the people just hold him there and bashed his dome until blood splashed his golden hair. I drew his ass a mustache with a Sharpie marker and cut his head like an artsy barber. Mold in your ministry. Uh, with silence. That's silence from... Chicago, they're digital, right? No, this is uh, Silencio. He's an L.A. producer uh, from Juice. All right, there you go. Who, so I'll break that down. How'd that connect? Um, so Silence is a, a cat I used to work with a lot out here um, for music. And and like he he had a, a little bit of a managerial mind, too. So there was a couple opportunities we helped, he helped me put together. And he was big in this L.A. Uh, hip-hop program called Juice, where you know all the four arts are taught to like inner-city kids. Uh, and I worked with that program for a while too. And uh, he had beats and we used to hang out a lot. And I liked one of his beats. And I actually wrote this song to one of my own beats like a couple years before that. Um, and when I heard his beat, I liked it. So I, I refitted the song to, to his track. Ladies and gentlemen, the world's most dangerous. Go home. Let's talk about the swim team and who that is and um, this posse cut. Whether it's a weekend or weekday night, you know the swim team gonna rock until you go home. Man, that's my crew. Um, so it started with Thirsty Fish in LA, which is me, Psychosis, and Dumbfounded. And then the other, you know, a lot of other people in our rap class at the blow. And, and it's not a literal class, but just like our generation. Um, Satire, Rogue Venom, Lyra Flip, Alpha MC, Joe Self, uh, DJ Far West, DJ Zoe. Um, we became the swim team. We did a bunch of posse cuts at the time. We made uh, mixtape. We always own each other's stuff. A lot of us still friends to this day. Verb yes, I forgot to mention. Yeah, and this is this song is how I used to end every one of my sets when I was doing shows at this time. But I often wasn't around the rest of the swim team, like if I was on tour or something. So I would do it and I would invite MCs on stage and we'd all freestyle and I would do the go home chorus like in between uh, each person. I quickly learned not to do that <laughs> because <laughs> You talk about gambling. You talk about gambling. Yeah, those were those were huge gambles that ended poorly um, many times. So um, I learned not to open up my show to that kind of chaos, especially because I'm like opening for somebody else and inviting all type of assholes on stage. Like you know, but it's a great idea to you experience it. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was super fun. Like and, and when it went good, it was great. And and there's still like MCs I have relationships with off of doing that, but uh, it's just not a good thing to do especially if it's literally somebody else's show. And and that kind of spirit was the spirit of the song and that was the spirit of our crew too. So we just rhyme anywhere. Like, yeah, so Go Home was was, was the spirit of all of that. It's the spirit of the swim team. Nice. Uh, you talked about this a little bit and I think this is different than a lot of artists. You seem like you were doing a decent amount of touring and stuff before you even had a debut record. True. So what kind of touring did you do for this record? And like, you know, like, was it a big tour? Did you, was it overseas? How, how extensive was it for this record? Nah, it wasn't overseas. I, so this album came out in 2010. I don't think I ended up going to Europe till like 2015. Yeah. So this one was, uh, I had only done two tours, I think, before this album came out. 
but they were like formative tours for me. The first one was Bus Drive and Abstract Rude, which was like my real first tour, like leaving the state and going, you know, to rap other places and coming home. And then the next tour was with, is with Chesky uh, and Mocha Only and Factor. Chesky, Factor, and Mocha Only. We did a whole, a whole big run. And like those two, you know, really shaped my touring experience for like years to come. Um, and I think, my album came out right after the Chesky tour. And then since I was coming into the game very DIY, I was hipped to the opportunity to connect with those promoters from those two tours and book my own tours. So for I think the rest of the touring I did for this album and and even the next album, Rappers Die Natural Causes, it was shit that I booked. And cause I had enough connects to do like the whole West Coast, some of the East Coast some of the Midwest. So yeah, like that's kind of, that's, that's, I, I don't remember if I was able to tour this album specifically and I don't think I was, but I was able to jump on other people's stuff and book my own stuff, which just, you know, was, was endless experience points <laughs> on the touring side. Getting things winding down here, um, but some things I always curious about, especially when talking about like, you know, a, a defining record like this for your career. What were some of the bigger doors you feel like this, album open for you? I know you're already right here. It's your first time working with a label. You're, you talked about the, the important tours. Anything else that like, you know, like any connections you made, press, radio support, anything that stands out like, wow, that thing made a difference in my career? I would say two things. I would say, yeah, college radio, being introduced to that world and those people who pull those levers and that was important. And then, yeah, press. Um, I still have some relationships with some writers based on them being hip to this album. Like, so this is, because this is the first work that I ever put out that got like reviews and you know mentions and you know even even if it even if all of them weren't favorable it was a lot of the times that writers heard of me for the first time and uh I think just the the there's something about what I bring to my writing that writers seem to respond to even if they don't always like the music I think that for a writer who's really paying attention to writing, I tend to give them something to chew on. And so this opening those doors was really important, you know, that a lot of writers became aware of me. That's actually a great lead into this next question. Um, and I didn't think about it from the writer's standpoint, which is a great way to look at it. But because of the way you write, in a few ways, because you're you're a creative writer, you also use sarcasm a lot. Do you have a lot of struggles with people misunderstanding what you mean or what you intend in your lyrics, whether it's from the press, from fans coming up to you like genius gets it wrong constantly? But yeah, people misinterpret a lot. But really, the the challenge that I've found more difficult is that there's a lot of people like okay, so we just talked about the writers and the writers paying attention because they're writers, so they listen close. What I have been often shocked by is the amount of people who are into my music that don't really pay a lot of attention to the lyrics. Like, that's not necessarily why they're in it for. And, and that's just always been baffling to me. Like, because I feel like that's the part I'm putting the most thought into. Um, that's, the, that's the flag I'm waving is, hey, pay, look at me with these lyrics I pay attention to. So if somebody's into me and it's not because of that, it's like, I don't even know why, you know? And and so that's always been the thing I've tried to wrap my head around. Like, not only the fact that, you know, once you put something out, people have their interpretations of it and they can think whatever they want to think. You can't really control that, which is the first lesson you learn. But then also the fact that, like, you don't have, you have no idea why anybody likes you ever. Like, you can have the things that you value about your work, but you just never know why people are going to connect with you. I think, it, for me, it just became important to be open to all of the ways that that could happen. You're being intentional about being a creative and what I would call a great writer, but you're sort of like, I don't know if the word is oblivious, but the other side is just who you are. Yeah. They're, 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 they're just attracted to who you are as a personality. Yeah, because I got a lot a lot of people who are fans of mine who they maybe became fans of mine because I was doing a podcast about the TV show Adventure Time or or, or wrestling or whatever. Like, And they, they get into my orbit and start messing with my music. But yeah, like you're right. It, a lot of times it can just be something about a personality or something about a vibe that's just got nothing to do with the words that I'm writing. And, and you know, I don't always keep that front of mind. And, and because I don't always keep that in front of mind, it still always surprises me. My last question was, and I always wonder this a lot about people. I, I know I know a lot of artists, you know, and um, friends with a lot of artists and been an artist myself. 
And it's always interesting how people feel about their older material. Like some people just never want to listen to it. And just everything, if you bring it up, they're just going to be playfully negative about it. Or don't even want to talk about it. Um, you're, you're like talking about every one of, you're bringing up everything you've ever done on a podcast to the whole world to see. So like, yeah. uh, how do you generally look at like your old material? Do you go back and listen to, to think about where you're going forward? Or do you just keep moving forward? And how do you feel about it just where it sits in your past? I tend to keep moving forward. and and But there tends to be like, a couple years sort of range of stuff that I will go back to more easily. Like this album is so old now that I I barely ever listen to this. I barely ever perform any of these songs. Now, if anything, I'll perform Pissy Transmission sometimes because I think that one for me still feels like if I wrote this song again today, it would probably still sound much like this where like a lot of other songs on this album, if I was writing them today, I would do different things. Like not that I think I did anything wrong or bad or it's just that I, I one thing that I see very clearly on this album is that like I was very locked into this pattern of like four bars of the same multi, like the same multi-syllable rhyme. Like every like I always wanted every four bars to have the same perfect like rhyme structure. And I can look at that and and love how I did it because I think I did it all conversationally and smooth. I never had to reach too far to get something to make it work. And I appreciate that. But it just to me, it feels very much like it's in a grid. It's locked. It's very like it's almost like closed-minded in a way because there's things that a beat can ask you to do to break that. And I wasn't open to any of that, you know? And I think that in, in the way that I write now, like I consider myself much more open to those flourishes and, and, and where things can go. But I'll say this, in the other podcasts that I've done, I've talked about my albums. I've made sure to listen to the album in full before I had the conversation. This one, and I don't know if this is on purpose or not, but I forgot to until like a half hour before we're supposed to start. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, oh, I just kind of clicked it and listened around a little bit. But I think maybe I didn't really want to sit <laughs> and, and and do the whole 45-minute experience. Um, and it's not because I I don't think I don't think it's bad. There are certainly things that I wish I could have done better in terms of the singing and in terms of the deliveries of certain things. But again, I was just using the tools that I had. And this is literally my debut and, you know, my tools were were blunt in a lot of cases. And so, you know, I was doing the best I could. But sometimes yeah, it, it can be hard to sit with yourself when you're unrefined and, and be reminded of that, you know. But I am I am still very proud of it. Like, I, I think in a lot of ways it did exactly what I was intending for it to do with even even with the parts that stand out to me as 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 having needed improvement. No, that's perfect, man. And, 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 and that's good to hear. And I, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, but um, it stood out to me because you consider the debut, but like it's impressive for a few reasons. But one of them is like at that point, how you were already so good at not only just as a writer, but just at structuring songs, how you built narratives. There's certain things that stand out to why I love music. And I like all kinds of different genres, styles from hardcore to playful. To me, it's like, that person put some time and thought into it. That's really like the main thing. If I believe that person put time and thought and they actually care about it, I'm already a fan of it. And this this matter of how much of a fan I am of it from there. And so like that's something that's like super apparent in your music. Like, oh, there's definitely intention here. And I think you're saying like, even like with the right, what you're saying with the critics, like, like even if they don't like the music, they're like, okay, he is putting some thought into this. So I'm at least got to give it a, a listen. So I think that's a, a great way to, to, you were doing that as early on. So this is like, for me, it was um, an honor because like, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of this record. I'm a fan of you as what you do as an artist and a person. Like, you know, like you do great things, you know, musically and just like you always bring great vibes too. So like, that's just a rare combination. Well, I'm honored because you helped create me <laughs> in Time Travel Radio. Like, especially this new album that 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 is inspired by mixtapes from taping radio shows at that era. Like, N-U-R is in there. Like, you know, there's 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 experiences I had with that music that you directly helped facilitate. So, like, it's an honor to to have a relationship with you and an, and an honor that you would come on and 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 do this. And I and before I let you go, I did want you to shout out your podcast stories about songs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got a podcast, Stories About Song, um, me and Rob Van Vranken. Um, it does all the engineering and all and so forth. And did one season that's um came out previously. Basically, 
people know me for like my hip hop history and and studying that. And I wanted to just do something a little different because I just like like we talked about this this podcast. I love storytelling. I love listening. I love telling stories. So I wanted to find a way to tell hip hop history that was a little more personalized and kind of give it right from my vantage point. And like I've had a lot of experiences, but directly with artists or in, indirectly with artists. And I try to find a way to like uh, tell those stories and and build the narrative with sound bites and different clips and sometimes my historical interviews. And season two is on its way. Yeah, we'll have some we'll have some news about that soon. Uh, stay tuned for news about season two of Stories About Songs. It's an amazing, amazing podcast, like you said. Uh, it's coming from his direct experience, which is with a wealth of different artists. And and Rob does a great job of sonically making everything sound incredible and immersive. So yeah. we look forward to hearing more about that. And uh, y'all stay tuned for news from that soon. Thank you for your your time and impeccable questions. And Mr. Kevin, I hope you have a great day. You as well. My pleasure, man. I'm looking forward to what we got coming next. Yeah. New album. I'm looking forward to the album, man. <laughs> oh, you know, right, right around the corner. All right, <laughs> All right my man. Stony Island Audio.